0: This is the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the
1: inside track on all the big talking points from Goodison Park.
2: Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Royal Blue Podcast, where we have another eventful, shall we say, Merseyside derby (laughs) to discuss today. Uh, Goals from Michael Keane and Calvert-Lewin cancelled out strikes from Sadio Mane and Mo Salah at Goodison on Saturday in a 2-2 draw, but we all know that's not the full story, don't we? I'm your host, Adam Jones. Today, joined by Dave Prentice, Chris Beasley, and Gav Buckland, as we all try to try our best to dissect all of that. And uh, Gav, I'll start with you today. And we'll uh, talk right. about the actual football for the time being. What did you make of Evans' performance at the weekend? Uh,
0: disappointing, but stayed in the game, uh, showed a bit of grit and determination. Uh, but yeah, when we had possession apart from a fifteen minute spell at the start of the second half, largely disappointing, though some players did play well, um, as we'll probably discuss later.
2: Was that, was that a your assessment as well, Bees?
0: Yeah, I think that
1: was um important, wasn't it? That, that you know, in previous seasons when they've they've gone behind in games like that, uh, well, any game really, but you know, the Derby whatever, but to you know, to come back twice, you know, when they they were in, you know, losing positions against, you know, the, not just uh, the neighbours, but you know, a team who was um recorded points totals of ninety seven and ninety nine in the Premier League last two years. You know, to take any points off them at any particular time. I you know we're all going on about the tenth anniversary of Everton's last derby win, but you know, when they were you know, in those difficult positions, for falling behind, to, like Gav said, to to stay in the game. And I thought that it, it, um, at one point it looked like Everton were going to rue a couple of missed chances, whereas Everton had missed a couple of, I wouldn't say sitters almost, but what looked like decent chances to score, I and mean, then they'd missed them. And then obviously when Salah made it two um, one with an absolute amazing strike for Giannini, you thought, well, they know, they, they've taken their, their chances there. So yeah, I think that was a fair one. Um, Gav said, "Yeah, unbeaten still,
2: top of the league still, and uh, yeah, you know it could have been a lot worse, obviously." Mm. And as B says there, Preno, it, it, it is a bit of a mixed feeling, isn't it? Because obviously it is still ten years since Everton have managed to win over Liverpool, but you know showing that much character to fight back from such a good Liverpool team, it, it does show it does show a lot about this side, doesn't it?
3: It does, yeah. And I think I was quite pleased with the reaction afterwards. I mean, uh, Dominic Calvert-Lewin expressing disappointment that they never actually went on to win the game, which suggests that there is a change of mindset at work here. Uh, it was it was a really strange game to to summarise from Everton's perspective, uh, because we didn't play particularly well. I thought a lot of players seemed to be carrying hangovers from the uh, the international break, the South Americans especially. Um, you know, so started a little bit slowly, uh, maybe not helped by a couple of uh, jarring challenges from Mr. Van Dyke early doors, who seems <laughs> out to be, you know, so out to make a marker. Um, but yeah, we didn't play particularly well, yet stayed in the game and were always dangerous and we're always capable of scoring a goal. And to me, that underlined the boldness, if you like, that, you know, Carlo Ancelotti's brought. Um, it was what we said last week, that, you know, Andy Robertson was going to be a threat down that left-hand side, which he was. But you didn't see any changing of the other system to try and negate that. He was more concerned about letting Hamas Rodriguez do what he does and therefore be creative in the final third. And he was an absolute joy to watch again, despite having started very, very slowly. So it was almost like, yeah, OK, you know, we are playing the best side in the league and they played very well by their own admission. They were back at it again. Uh, But we still stayed in the game. We still made things happen. We still created chances. Not as many as them, not as good opportunities as they created. They are the best team in the league. Uh, But, you know, we stayed in there and we stayed with us. So, yeah, positive and, you know, quite heartened by that. And also by the knowledge that we know we can play a lot better than that. And we have played a lot better than that. Hopefully after seven or eight days, you know, to prepare for the next game now. Players will be fresher, a bit more intense. And we'll see something like, you know, the old Everton that we're seeing earlier in the season.
2: Mm. and uh, we've had our first mention of Virgil van Dijk there so I suppose it would be remiss of us not to <laughs> not to talk about the incident which has absolutely taken over social media over the last two days I think it's been absolutely bizarre the reaction to be honest but uh, obviously we've had the incident uh, in the first few minutes of the game uh, Jordan Pickford with an extremely reckless challenge you've got to say on Virgil van Dijk it has now transpired that van Dijk is going to need Surgery on a ligament, knee ligament injury. Uh, Liverpool don't want to put a date on his return, but they don't want to say that he's ruled out for the season quite yet. But it is looking like an extended period on the sidelines, at least for the uh, Liverpool centre back. Gav, what what do you say about that? I mean, Pickford was certainly lucky to stay on the pitch, wasn't he?
0: He was irresponsible. Um, it was an ill-judged challenge. He knew as soon as he launched himself into the air, he was going to get van Um On that basis, he's endangering opponents. But by the letter of the law and guidance, he he's, he stays on the pitch, doesn't he? I think. Hopefully, I'm right in saying this. That once the offside's given, then the only time he can be sent off is is for violent conduct. Yes, and that involves yeah. not playing not playing the ball. Very. Really. Well, it could be argued whether he was playing the ball, but that's for another day. Um, he, he was guilty of serious foul play, which keeps him on the pitch. That's an anomaly of the law, isn't it, really? Because you don't know the whistle's been blown, he clatter it into somebody like Van Dyke, uh, like uh, like uh, Jordan did on Saturday, then that should be worthy of a sending off offence as well. Um, it's an anomaly of the law, but he stays on. But it was just a... My my own feeling was about it was... Maybe not the best, but it was a bit uncontrolled. But, like, Gaza at the start of the 91 Cup final where he was a bit frustrated. Jordan's conceded the goal early on already after a couple of minutes, no clean sheet, And whether that came into it, I don't know. But it was just... It was a really appalling challenge. I mean... David Preacher, I don't out there with the him on Twitter, but the only person on Twitter that he's a goalkeeper, isn't he? He knows anything about goalkeeping. He he, he put up a, a, a film today of um, I think it was Tom Heaton mm. facing Ibrahimovic at Old Trafford, and Tom Heaton does exact dives in exactly the same way as uh, Jordan does on Saturday to make himself bigger in front of Ibrahimovic. Um, exactly the same dive. The only difference is Ibrahimovic is like two or three yards away. You know what I mean? So in terms of the way Jordan dives, it's not like unusual. It's just the fact that as soon as he did it, he's going to clatter Van Dijk, and he was lucky in that the offside had been given. But I, I can see why there's an emotional reaction where people see he should have been sent off. About and then there's a discussion say whether he was actually playing the ball. Um, yeah, and that I, I settles the defence. We spoke on Friday, didn't we? Over uh, like goalkeepers and their impacts they have on the the sort of, uh, you know how settled they are with with their, with their back four. And if you're in the Everton back four on Saturday, you can see one early on, and the goalkeeper does that after a couple of minutes. You're thinking, you know, this is not an inspiring mm. confidence, is it really? But and we said rounds about where it was the right decision, wasn't it, to keep on the pitch? And we were we were very lucky, and Jordan was very lucky.
2: Mm. And I mean, obviously, the conversations. Been taken to another level uh, today with the confirmation from the FA that they are going to uh, give out no retrospective action to uh, Jordan Pickford because the incident was seen by either the, the on-field referee or the VAR. But Bees, as as Gav mm-hmm. rightly says, there it's, it it kind of it, it kind of accentuates a, a real problem with the law rather than anything else, doesn't it? Yeah,
1: it, it is this bizarre anomaly, isn't it? That, you know, it's short of I'm punching somebody you, you know in that split second I guess you, you can get away with quite a lot Um, mm. I don't think that was in Jordan's mind when he made the challenge I mean from our point of view here on the, the Blue podcast I mean we're, we're looking at it from an Everton perspective and you just think he's brought in Robin Alton um, Carlo Ancelotti you know give Jordan more competition after what has been a shaky start to the season from him personally and you just want a nice settled display from Jordan the thing was he, he went on to show the the good side of Jordan Pickford and make some terrific saves to keep Everton in it later on. But, you know, you just want a nice settled start from him. And then he goes and does something wild um, like that. Uh, yeah, it, it, yeah it's, it is an anomaly with the law, like um, Gav said. But I think it's obviously been taken to a whole different level because of the whole passion over the game. Obviously, it was the Merseyside derby. It was Virgil van Dijk, um, Liverpool's you know colossal centre-half, who's such an important part to them, and uh, you know they were already arguably a centre back like going into the season with not repl- no direct replacement for Dejan Lovren. So all mm. that put together, and the fact that they might be without the you know defensive leader who brings so much to them as a unit, um, yeah, there's been a totally ridiculous reaction. We've heard all sorts of crazy shouts that people should serve bans for the number of matches that the person is injured for. I mean, it's just, it's just totally ridiculous. And people who should know better, not just, um, you know, your, your fella down the and so, uh, who's sounding off on uh, on Twitter because, you know, he can't get a pint in Merseyside now. You're talking about people in our profession as well, international journalists, some crazy shouts have come out there. And hopefully you can just um, calm down now that the FA have actually, you know, made the ruling on this.
2: Well, it's interesting, isn't it, Preno, you know, the the reaction... As 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 I said earlier, it's kind of taken over social media, hasn't it? We saw Graham Souness and Jamie Carragher have a really interesting debate about it on Sky Sports on Sunday evening. You know, as B says, we've had you know numerous pundits come out this morning and say such things like you know Pickford should be banned for the amount of time that Van Dykes injured, and you know the, these kind of these kinds of views just don't help anyone, do they?
3: No, social media can be a very very grim and depressing place at times like this. And it has the 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 reaction has been intense. It's been extreme. It's it's been absolutely outrageous in many respects. Um, like well, like most people from an Everton perspective, I understand you know. So why Liverpool fans were obsessed by the challenge, but I don't think it was premeditated. I don't think it was cynical. Uh, it, was, it was ridiculous and it was reckless. But I don't think he went out there to, admittedly to try and to try and do Van Dyke. You can make the argument that Andy Robertson was trying to do that, you know, so when he reacted and dived in with both feet on um, on Alan. And that's what annoyed me a little bit in the reactions. I mean, uh, BT, who were all over the Pickford, um, you know, moments at time, didn't even show that uh, Robertson incident again. Despite Steve McManaman in commentary saying he's kicked at uh, Alan, uh, but yeah, it's just glossed over. Uh, but you know, understandably, because Virgil Van Dyke is so badly injured, you know that one gets analysed to death. And I'm just looking at Twitter now, and there's there's still there's death threats going out to Jordan Pickford. There's people threatening to bump into him in town. It's like, oh come on, have we really come to this? It's it's absolutely horrendous. Um, it really depresses me, and you know, so it means that Jordan Pickford's going to have to have a very very strong mentality. Uh, to come through this. I mean, obviously there's not going to be any fans in the grounds for the foreseeable future, which is possibly a good thing. Uh, and hopefully things can settle down a little bit, but the reaction has been, you know, so sort of absolutely extreme. Uh, there have been some measured views, but you know, not as many as uh, the extreme views, unfortunately. And uh, it does, it leaves me shaking my head a little bit in, in, in disgust and disappointment. Mm. I think what I we have
2: to say... remember sometimes. I'll oh, go on, please.
3: Sorry. I was just going to say
1: quickly, um, we're not um, advocating this w- one bit whatsoever, but we've got to remember there was another player on the pitch uh, on Saturday again. He also didn't make the full ninety minutes. He went off with a lesser injury. Seamus Coleman, he suffered an awful double leg break playing for Ireland three years ago, and Neil Taylor, the player who did that, and again it was a, it was a shocking challenge. You got too much ban because that's yeah. ju- that's just what happens. You know, you just serve the the ordinary suspension if you knock somebody over. It's it's you know if, if whatever issues they've got with their body or frailties or just the way they fall or whatever, you know, you can't be held responsible
3: for that. Mm.
0: Do, you how, yeah,
1: <laughs> upset,
3: do you remember how upset we were last season as well when uh, when Andre Gomez was injured uh, by Son? And yet the mm-hmm. immediate aftermath of that incident mm. was Everson players going into the dressing room to console Son and people concerned about Son's mental health afterwards. And to mm-hmm. me, that that was a premeditated challenge. You know, he was angry because a free kick hadn't been given, and he went looking for, for Gomez. That was altogether more malicious, I would say, than Pickford's uh, challenge at the weekend. Uh, Pickford was just, it was a stupid challenge. It was reckless. It was you know, uh, it was just silly. But you know, the the end product was you know absolutely appalling, which is why yeah, I I, I am yeah. sorry,
0: I, sorry. I, I I just I think I think you can say I think you can say. He was, was right to stay on the pitch but at the same time. I just thought it was a horrendous challenge yeah. in the circumstances mm-hmm. because he knew as soon as he launches himself through the air that he's going to absolutely clatter into Van Dyke because he's, he's that close mm-hmm. to him. He's not, he's not like three yards away or four yards away. He know I mean, the, the, the song's slightly different. But was just part, was, uh will part that one for now. But I think he's launching himself at, a, at another player. But, you know, firstly, like when he's, you know, he's flying through the air in a vertical straight line, isn't he, really? And he catches Van Dyke with, you know, like sort of between, you know, sort of his legs. And it was just a horrendous challenge. It was, I mean, and he's England's number one keeper and the Everton goalkeeper. I don't want to see the Everton goalkeeper making challenges like that, I'm afraid. I just thought it was horrendous. Um, yeah,
3: but, but, uh, but, but does yeah. that mean that the reaction that we've had seriously you know is justified I, I don't think it does
0: no I mean, no no Absolutely, yeah. totally agree with you Plano yeah. I totally agree with you. And, and I think that's down you know that for the fact that it was a derby that's Van Dijk and the fact that it's Pickford as well yeah, who yeah. Yeah. as we all know now, has got you know you know, he's had stick up for a number of years but it was a horrendous challenge I mean I just I just you know but I'll qualified up by saying it, it, it's the type of positioning that a goalkeeper would naturally have when face when trying to make himself big if you see some of the other videos about, but it wasn't a good look and I thought he, I thought he was lucky and These, of course one of my things about like VAR about the, the relationship between having a senior referee on the pitch and the junior referee in the VAR booth mm-hmm. that, that about whether a junior referee would ever overturn um, a decision made by a senior referee on the pits but um, well, I do, I just thought it was uh, I just thought it was horrendous and, 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 and in the context of the game as well He's all goal mm. season, you know and I, I just think that must unsettle the defence that, that type of mm. stuff you know it, I just dreadful
2: Do we think if, the, if, if this hadn't been a Merseyside derby do we think the reaction would still be going on as it is now
3: I think the, the reason the reaction is going on, as it is, is because of the identity of the individual who suffered a really bad injury. Um, he's so important to Liverpool. Um, you know, he made such a difference to them last season. Uh, he plays vit- virtually every game. You know, he's um, as Jurgen Klopp said afterwards, he's played with pain through like a number of uh, you know, months and weeks. Uh, and he just makes such a big difference to Liverpool. And having to overcome... The loss of a player like that is why they're so concerned and so upset and probably reacting the way that they are because he's such an influential figure. I mean, I can't really think of any other player uh, in the Liverpool team that is arguably as influential. I mean, you could possibly make a case for Mohamed Salah uh, maybe the goalkeeper, but I, I would say no. I would say Van Dijk is the guy who's the most influential, and that's why there's been such an outcry uh, because they know how big he is, you know, to their cause and how important he is. I had a, a Liverpool fan. I was talking to him at lunchtime. I still do speak to Liverpool fans despite what, what happened <laughs> over the weekend. Uh, and he was like, oh, "That's it. Our season's over." I said, "Be yourself. You know, you're not a one-man team." He goes, "Well, you know, no two-man team. Him and Alisson I think he's egging the pudding a little bit." Um, but I do take the argument that he is massively, massively important, and that is why you know the the reaction has been, or partly why the reaction has been uh, as extreme as it has been.
2: Mm. And of, of course, it turned into a rather feisty game in the second half, didn't it? You know, I think both sides probably could have been uh, reduced to at least ten men uh, at some point of the game. We've mentioned that uh, Robertson challenge on our line. We've had Mane tripping up Mina, and then. Of course, the one red card that did get given out was to Richarlison uh, late on in the game for his challenge on Thiago Bees. What did you uh, what did you make of that one?
1: Yeah, it, it keeps happening, doesn't it? Things happen in Merseyside derbies that don't happen in ordinary fixtures. And we can't pin it on the fans. We can't say, oh, the supports are all wound up and they've got the players whipped up into a frenzy. You know, they're playing in an empty stadium there. And they still make mm. challenges that they wouldn't make in any other game or little nasty fouls and things like that yeah I mean we've seen it before with Richarlison I think very early in his have career. was it sorry Bournemouth away yeah and um, he'd obviously put the head on the opponent and you know he does have that short fuse you've seen that at, at times where you know he, he can lose it maybe he was just a I mean Carl shorty perhaps defended him said he was a bit tired and, you know, it was just, you know, a misplaced challenge button. For, um, yeah, I mean, you've got to be concerned now from an Everton point of view that, you know, they, the games he's possibly going to miss now because of what, what happened there. But, yeah, there were, I mean, there was there was a lot of it. And, you know, as Dave alluded to earlier, I mean, Virgil van Dijk had already put two markers down on, on Everton by the time he got clattered himself. And I just, you just wondered it was, I don't know what Jordan Pickford was thinking, but... And he's just wondering there, well, well, um, Van Dyke's already put one in, was it on Hamas Rodriguez, one on Calvert Lewin? Oh, you know, they mm-hmm. they were people who you know wound up in, in the Derby atmosphere and yeah, but it's haven't happening for years and like I say we can't blame the crowd on this. Players making the kind of challenges they just wouldn't make in most matches because it's an
3: Merseyside no. derby. No, to, to be honest, I, I think the Richarlison challenge w- was worse than Pickford's. I, I know uh, Gabs expressed why he thought the Pickford was such a bad challenge, but I still genuinely believe it was it was just reckless stupidity. I genuinely think that Richarlison you know dived in with malice aforethought in that one. He just he, the red mist came down and he just he, he just lunged in and you know I know if you look at the images of the uh, the incident and it looks horrific if you actually look at the incident properly it's his trailing knee that catches uh, Tiago, which is pr- probably what saved him from really serious injury but his leg still buckled uh, and to me that was worse uh, than Pickford's because that was like he, he felt like uh he was he was trying to cause some kind of damage to an opponent there and he does have that in his makeup you know he's trying to overcome it and he is doing things differently now. I mean that you know, rolling around on the pitch and going down injured two or three times every game seems to have uh, been you know sort, of, you know sort of moved out of his uh, his game now. But he still does have the occasional you know moments. Hopefully only once or twice a season where the red mist does come down, and it did come down on that on that occasion. And he's been rightly punished, and we'll miss him for three games. The only mm. plus side being that you know it gives an opportunity to Anthony Gordon, who's been you know chomping at the bit. Bernard, who's looked impressive when he's come in, possibly even Alex Wobe, who's uh, looked okay when he's come on. So you know it's, it's an opportunity for somebody else now. But yeah, we'll miss him because he's such a good player.
0: The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.
2: Well, Richarlison obviously felt the need to release an apology uh, shortly after the final whistle, didn't he, to Tiago for. <laughs> But his challenge, thankfully, it seems that Thiago's injury isn't going to be well, certainly not as bad as Virgil van Dijk's, but it doesn't look like it's going to keep him out for uh, for very long at least. Uh, Gav, you know, you've you've as Preno says, you've shared your thoughts on the Pickford challenge. What did you make of that? Richard, I
0: thought my was worse, mm. it was worse because that was violent conduct, wasn't it? I mean, mm. the, the, the Pickford's one he could say he was trying to play the ball. I might be setting a point, but that was just that was just a violent lunge, wasn't it? That could have bad a far worse outcome than what what it did, to be honest with you. Um it's, it, it's, it appeared out of nowhere as well. You know, sometimes you see players do that when they've been battled, don't they? And they've you know they've the red miss. But I can't remember answering in the in the uh you know in the time before then you know where you think by the Charles we the Athlete died that a sort of frustrating game hadn't he as well. And I, I, mm. I, I'm with you. It was a waste challenge. I mean, as as, as balanced by the way, Robertson should have been sent off. Yeah. That mm. was bad conduct. He kicked out something. He could have caused a serious injury there. Mm. Mm. I, I thought he should have gone. Um, yeah. To be fair, um, and and it, and it, it, wasn't a good look. The fact that it was, it was pretty much ignored across all sorts About outlets on TV outlets over the weekend. Mm. Um. But yeah, rich Allison, no excuses. Is that is that three straight reds now? Is it for violent conduct? He's had something like that in his career, which is yeah, he's, he's he Everton, hasn't he? Yeah, yeah. Uh, But I just need to watch himself there. I thought he had the frustrating game. I'll bet He should have scored. I mean, the mm. one on the first half, you know, he throw about wasted chances. You know, the one where Godfrey got free and laid him mm. in. He's got Gomez and um, and Dini on his left, hasn't he? Could have played either one, yeah. and then this shot over. And maybe that's just part of the frustration of the whole afternoon where it wasn't going for him. But yeah, it was a, that was a terrible challenge, and that could have had far worse outcome than what one
2: mm. it did. I mean, we'll stick with you, Gav. I mean, like we've talked about that Richarlison challenge. Obviously, we've talked about the Robertson one, which really could have got him a red card. We've talked about you know that little trip from Mane on uh, on Mina, which could have get uh, got him at least booked if not, like like you no a second yellow or something like that. I mean, what is it about this Merseyside Derby? Why do why do players feel the need to do things like that in these games?
0: I don't I don't can't I mean I've seen I mean wasn't there wasn't Derby match a couple of years ago where there was no bookings. Um yeah. I think that's the first sending off sending off uh, to Funes Mori. Uh, yeah. and Liverpool haven't had one for eight years. So it hasn't been that dirty um contest though certainly over the last decade. Uh, maybe that's because of the maybe that the disparity between the teams during that time, you know, uh, helps. But um, as you say, I think he's made the point there. Is is ironically enough, Van Dyke sort of set the tone for the afternoon, didn't he? Um, mm. At the start, I'm just wondering as well whether, you know that there's no crowd there. the players think they can get away with stuff mm. that actually that they wouldn't get away with? If there's a crowd there, I'm just wondering in a full stand And I don't pick on van's idea, like but I will. Does Would he class it into? Would class it into Rodriguez in the opening minutes in front of forty thousand? Needlessly. Might mm-hmm. maybe not.
3: Yeah, it's, it's funny talking know. about you know the, the derby match scenario and like you know so why do things happen in that fixture rather than any others? I just wonder whether it's because there's a acceptance now that Everton are getting a bit closer to Liverpool, still got a long, long way to go. Uh, but, you know, over the last you know sort of seven or eight years, we've been the whipping boys in derby matches. We, it's been quite a condescending attitude towards little little Everton. Whereas now, you know, we're top of the league, uh, still got you know loads and loads of work to do. Still only a handful of games are being played. But there's always um, almost an acceptance that we are rivals now. Um, you know, Jurgen Klopp said as much in the build up to the game. I think he might have been over egging it a little bit, you know, sort of trying to, you know, so sort of, I don't know, set the set the tone a little bit by saying that, you know, how he sees Everson as challengers and will be challengers in the very near future. So I just wonder if that's got into like the Liverpool mindset a little bit. And you know, they see Everson as more, more of rivals and more of challenges than they have been in recent years. And so it adds a little bit more intensity to it, a little bit like you used to get maybe, you know, with the Arsenal-Man United games, of, you know, not that long ago. Uh, where you could guarantee fireworks between those two because they saw each other as genuine rivals. Now, I know we're not rivals for silverware. Yes, we've got an awful lot to do before that happens. But maybe just subconsciously, there's a little acceptance there that, hang on, this this team is getting closer to us now and they need to put themselves out a little bit more. I don't know. Maybe I'm just reading far too much into it. But there does seem to be a a different, different mindset about it.
2: No, I, th- I think Prano raises a really good point there, Bees. I mean, Everton, mm-hmm. you know, we we talked at the start of this podcast that Everton didn't play at the kind of level that we've been used to so far this season. There were only glimpses oh. of that, you know, lovely slow build attack on football. But we played against a very good Liverpool team that, this weekend and got a point out of it, maybe disappointed we didn't get three points out of it. It does kind of show a significant growth over the
1: last few months, doesn't it? Definitely, I think that... It's combination not just of the improvement in, in ability with the new signings and the way that he's um, galvanised the midfield, got them playing this season. I think it's a mentality thing as, as well because, you know, let's not underestimate, it was actually... Um, Today isn't it? It's the anniversary—one year on—of the Everton West Ham game when um, yeah. Marco Silver had said, "You know, it was a must-win fixture beforehand." And poor Marco didn't get a single come-from-behind win in, in the Premier League um, in his whole ten. You know that wasn't obviously a, a win at the weekend, but you know to come back twice, like we said, against such a talented Liverpool team, they obviously came back. Two down at Watford last season. There is a lot more like of a resolute um, attitude within the camp, and the fact that the games a season, where you know they've they've gone behind, conceded the first goal. I mean, under the previous regime, you know that'd be curtains, and you would be like, oh, that set the tone for the afternoon. There's no way coming back. But yeah, they, they they you know it's always great to get get a your noses in front, but you know with this. Everton team now, first time in a long time. If they do go 1 0 down, you know, it, it's not doom and gloom, it's not the the end of the world. There is a chance that they will come back.
2: Mm. And then, Gab, to put this, you know, this start to the season into context, you know, this is 13 points from a possible 15 at the start of the season. You take that, don't you?
0: Well, I said that on Friday that a defeat wouldn't necessarily make this the, the season, the start of the season, disaster, because we've be won seven on the bounce. So I think, though, you may want to come, on, come to the score, score forecast and add in a bit, but I think if you go in a derby, if you go into the derby to, top of the league and you didn't, and after the derby you're still top of the league, you'd probably take that, wouldn't you? Mm-hmm. I, mean, I would. Yeah. I mean, I'd say it'd be taking a draw on, on Saturday after five minutes where there's a possible penalty and they're uh, going down to 10 and getting beat 1-0, you know? Uh, so, mm-hmm. yeah, I think um, you've got to see for, Saturday's performance for all. Like, we didn't play as well as what we have done this season. Um, in the context of say the international fortnight and in the context of like eight games where we played really well. As B said, um we've been behind in a few games. I mean we have won games where we conceded equalisers and stuff mm. and gone up, gone up the other end and scored straight away. So we've shown a bit of uh, character there as well. So and um, we did that in abundance of thoughts on uh, on Saturday.
2: And um, you know we've talked about the collective performance might not be in up to the same standards as we've seen this season, but I think there were really some good individual performances across uh, across the eleven this weekend. And Preno, Ben Godfrey came on for his uh, Everton debut in you know probably trying circumstances, coming on at right back uh, for his first game against Liverpool, but he did really really well, didn't he?
3: He did tremendously, yeah, especially when you bear in mind he's a centre-back, you know, and he was uh, asked to come on uh, and play, you know, right back, arguably their most dangerous flank, you know, where an awful lot of the, you know, sort of threat comes from. And he slotted in quite seamlessly, and it wasn't just, um, OK, let's just, like, you know, have what we hold, and let's just, like, you know, play myself in slowly. He was quite proactive as well. He was uh, involving himself in raids up the pitch. He was getting involved and using the ball very well. Uh, first first you know sort of glimpse we've had of him and it was very, very impressive. Um, it does lend the question, I suppose, um, you know, if Seamus has to miss a game or two, and no Carlo referenced John Joe Kenny straight after the game. But, you know, so has Godfrey done enough already to suggest that maybe, you know, he, he deserves an opportunity to continue there rather than John Joe? But it was, it was reassuring. And it just underlines, again, um, how important it was, you know, sort of add to the squad when we did, you know, in that area. And um, then we were very, very worried about the prospect of losing a centre-back to injury. But, you know, not really thinking that right-back was going to be an issue. But, you know, he, he solved that by, you know, sort of being able to, you know, fill both roles. So, yeah, very heartening and one of a number of good performances, I know I said players started slowly, Hammers being one of them, but he still showed what absolute class he oozes. I mean, you can sit and watch him on, you know, on repeat over and over again. Just a great, great footballer and, uh, you know, influential, very influential in both goals. So, you know, another good performance from him. And, uh, yeah, you know, elsewhere, maybe not so many, you know, sort of influential performances. Um, You know, Alan looked like he was still labouring a little bit, you know, so sort of after the, the problem he's had. But, yeah, Godfrey certainly, you know, was was a shining light. and uh, absolutely thrilled with him.
2: Mm. At the time of recording, of course, we're still waiting to hear the full extent of Seamus Coleman's injury. It's a hamstring issue, but we're not sure how long he'll be out for, or even if he'll be fifth for the game at the weekend, of course. But Bees, if... If Seamus Coleman were to miss this game at the weekend, would you be comfortable throwing Ben Godfrey straight into the into this side?
1: Yeah, after what we've seen um, um, against Liverpool, definitely, they uh, Dave, Dave said, it wasn't just his defensive duties, the fact that he, he was, and you don't get particularly a lot of these chances, you know, marauding forward when he could against Liverpool. And you think as, as, a, as somebody who's primarily a centre-back, and I know he's played holes and midfielder earlier in his career, you know, to be up and down that flank, uh, it, was, it was very encouraging. He got some really strong blocks in, you know, a good awareness there from his body on the line, old school almost. Phil Jagielka or Alan Stubbs-esque at, at times, so yeah, it was a very encouraging debut because you know you had to be show a bit of concern of him, you know, having this baptism of fire. And I know he actually played a year of Premier League with Norwich last season, but coming in, I making his Everton debut in such um, circumstances very encouraging and, and it's nice to have those options because like we were thinking oh the right back position is quite up in the air there and um, yeah and, and even when he gets fit to get <clears throat> mason holgate has played in that position at, you know at times he spent half a season on loan at west brom or less playing as a, a right wing back so the fact there is another center back option in there it might means that carlo would consider possibly moving a few players around in the back four
2: mm. And then Gav on the other flank as well, we've got Luca Dean,
1: got himself another
2: assist at the weekend with a fantastic cross for Calvert Lewin's goal. Like he's he's been on fire so far this season, really, hasn't
0: he? Yeah, you know, he's um but I was having a conversation on Saturday night, um, you know, from a socially distanced angle, <laughs> by the way, uh, <laughs> about the merits of uh, Luca Dean and Leighton Baines, you know, and as you know my perspective on Baines is like them going forwards, but I don't think he was as good as what well defensively is what people thought he was but I think Dean has got the balance right as far as I'm concerned as being not as good as maybe Layton going forward but he, you know in terms of being inventive and that type of thing but in terms of crossing boards and he can do it but far stronger defensively and uh, you know we can see he had the ball better and you saw that on Saturday I thought, I thought, he's also got ignored I think in the post-match sort of discussions but I thought I thought large was excellent mm-hmm. um, you know and you know, Liverpool weren't as much of a threat on the right as what they were on the left. I know you could say that because you had Hammers on 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 our right, but I thought uh, I thought he was he thought he was tremendous. I mean that cross in the first half, uh, how he dug that one out for of Calvert Lewin. Yeah, so, uh, he's he was asked to do a 180 degree turn, doesn't need to uh, <laughs> uh, to get the ball into the penalty box. It was quality. I thought he was tremendous, Lukaszew on uh, on Saturday, and if there's a better left back in the Premier League at the moment. I can't think of one off the top of my head, and I'm, I'm thinking about also about whoever was playing for Liverpool on Saturday there. I thought, <laughs> thought Luca. I thought Luca's Luke, aim was tremendous, and but in keeping with the, you know, the performances I've had thus far this season, he's been mm. superb.
2: And Prenner, I suppose, you know, the biggest accolade you can give his defensive display on the, the weekend was the. Uh, I forgot Mo Salah was even playing until he popped up in the box to score. Like he really just wasn't in the game at all. Really, was he?
3: Dean was absolutely magnificent. Um, if you think about, we were concerned that he limped off 10 minutes from the end of Francis international on Wednesday night, uh, and he was a guy that we you know we thought, "Oh gosh, you know, is that going to hamper him at all?" He was one of the few players that didn't seem affected by the international activities during the week. He was just absolute quality uh, all the way through. Uh, yeah, offensively, he did what he's done for like you know most of the season. Uh, dugouts, penetrating, you know, really dangerous crosses all the way through. But equally, you know, so defensively, he was solid. Um, I mean, Liverpool, well, they, they scored the opening goal through less than robust, you know, fullback play on the opposite flank. Uh, but you just never saw that at all uh, from Dean. And, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm probably with Gavin on this one. Um, big, big fan of Andy Robertson's abilities, maybe not his uh, his cynicism on occasions. Um, but, you know, I, I think Dean is at least, you know, so as effective as him, if not better. Um, yeah, an absolute top, top player. And, um, you know, we're, we're lucky to have him. He's playing some really good, good football at the moment. Mm-hmm. Are those sentiments you'd agree with, Bede? Uh, definitely. I mean, he's
1: even shown at times, isn't he? You get the sort of uh, the, the opposite of Ben Godfrey in that. He's had to go cut inside and play centre-back in some of those um, cup games this season. I mean, he's been mm. a, so he's terrific. I mean, that's what you'd expect for somebody of his pedigree. Look at he's played for in his career, you know, Paris Saint-Germain, Roma, uh, Barcelona. He's always been at a, a top clubs and, you know, he's a, he's a France international, the reigning world champions, yeah. It, it, was, it was always going to be, you know, left-back is one of the hardest uh, positions to fill in, in getting top quality in there, you know, a dearth of natural left-footers. So to come on after Leighton Baines, who is obviously the... Everton's best left back, certainly of the of the, the modern era, the Premier League era, I'd say, is to have that seamless transition to Luke Dean and what he's doing. No, um, yeah, it's, um, it, of course, it's what was what we'd expect for something like that. And obviously, you see we were in the armband as well when uh, when James Coleman came off. And you know, was, mm. as a, you know, as a, an overseas player, from, not from the British Isles, I mean, that's a great accolade as well for him as well to be you know, picked out as the yeah, he, um,
3: captain. He, he, he even tried the impossible. Yeah. He even tried to be <laughs> yeah. the referee to allow Richarlison to stay on. <laughs> yeah, he's yeah, a legend.
0: I had The only the only, only criticism of yeah. performance on Saturday did the busted on his hands when he was taking his long throws because a couple of them didn't uh, <laughs> didn't work out deep, but I, I just echoed what the lads were saying there. I, I think he's I think he's a tremendous left back and he's, mm. he's 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 getting into the territory of being like one of the best to see play for Everton to be honest with you. Um, mm. already I think he I think he's top class both especially defensively
2: I think the one thing that we can agree on from the weekend is that it's just a huge shame that Preno didn't have to shell out for a big bottle of champagne <laughs> for me, to be honest.
3: You know what? I was absolutely desperate to, uh, you know, I've I'd, I'd gone, I'd gone, <laughs> gone for 2-2, obviously. You went for a 3-2, Everton, which yeah. would have be been your fourth successive correct prediction, which, given uh, how zany the, predict- uh, the <laughs> scores have been this season... That's so. That's some achievement. That you know, it's a pluck a four-two for Brighton and four-one West Ham. So you know, when we made it two-two, I, I was genuinely rooting for you. I genuinely <laughs> wanted to get it wrong, and I'd have been and <clears heart-wheeling throat> all the way down to the supermarkets. Uh, I think Greg Greg O'Keefe, formerly of this parish, also chipped in and said that. Look, if you get it right, I'll join in with you. So we money even extended to a bottle of crystal for. for you. yeah, but no, it yeah, wasn't you, quite big
2: he came over and spoke to me before the match started Greg and he, and he was just like oh, I, I really hope this comes in for you and to be honest when we had that free kick right at the end uh-huh. I would have been on the pitch uh-huh. it, it, like,
0: it would have it been no stopping a me. Clock. <laughs> <laughs> sort of David Moyes after him yeah. after West Ham's goal yesterday <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, was, it, was it you who had to wear it with the VAR officials to uh, disallow the Liverpool goal then uh, <laughs> yeah, but, so yeah, no, I sent a message to you yeah, all, didn't I he said on, yeah. on Twitter, "There's still goals in this." He said, "Still in the game, here. Don't worry, you know." Said, <laughs> but you I mean, I know, it's mad as it's... You know, when that free kick, we had the free kick at the end. I was thinking, I, was, I wasn't really like bothered about where three, 2 yeah. Because I was thinking, "Has going to come up again with the get the, the guns, you know, like four times <laughs> on the run. Yeah, but never, never mind, you know. But uh, yeah, well, it was. Yeah, uh, moments as
3: well. Two points <laughs> it, was. it. Was just. I mean, absolute lunacy really wasn't it I mean uh, the, the, the game is a very very strange game at the moment when you're getting decisions like that but you know yeah. we had so many go against us last season and let's not forget that Liverpool had so many go in their favour last season uh, so you know so maybe that's just a small fraction of it starting to even itself out a little bit well Dave <laughs> as, as, Liv- as Liverpool
1: said last season Dave um, you know when you're top of the league some of these decisions go for you
2: <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: absolutely <laughs>
2: What a note to what a note to end on eh? <laughs> that's uh, that's all we've got time for today. Thank you very much for tuning in. We'll be back a little bit later on this week to preview Everton's game against Southampton at the weekend. But for now, uh, thank you very much for listening. This has been the Royal
1: Blue Podcast.
0: You've been listening to the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.